I love how sometimes God has a better plan than ours, because for us to go down there and give out those presents is really fun, but to allow them to be able to go give it out to other people down there, their neighbors, is just, you know, to me, that's really special to be a part of that. So thanks for you guys taking the trouble to make that possible. Now let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're coming to the, towards the end of the last chapter of 1 Timothy. And I just have to tell you up front, this message is for rich people. So that's what it says. This is what, this is what Paul told Timothy to command this stuff to rich people. So if you're not rich, it's not for you. If you are, this is for you. Um, well, how do you define rich? Well, earlier in the chapter, he said you should be content with if you just have food and clothes. So if you have more than food and clothes, might catapult you into that rich category. Or to give it a little different perspective, um, almost half the people in this world, over 3 billion people, um, are living on less than $2.50 a day. So if you're doing better than that, I'd say you're doing pretty good. 25,000 children, according to UNICEF, die every day because of being poor. So maybe that makes you feel like you're doing okay. Um, but if you feel that, oh no, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world says, I don't know what, I feel poor, then I guess this passage doesn't have anything for you. But if God has been good to you, if he has blessed you, um, and therefore you're a rich person, then this passage applies to you. Beginning with verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Earlier in the chapter, we saw where he said, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. And so now he's saying, remind the rich people to lay hold on eternal life, that is, to get a grip on how long eternity is, on what eternity means compared to the things here that don't last. But he, he describes two different eras. Those who are rich in this present age, the Greek word there is aeon, you know, it's an era, in other words. So there's this era here, and some people are rich in this era. But there's an eternal era that lasts a lot longer, that's a lot more significant. And so we certainly need to keep what's going on here and now in perspective based on what's happening in the future, forever. And he, and he begins by saying, command those who are rich in this present era not to be haughty, first of all. And the word there for haughty is a, is literally means high-minded. The idea is don't think based on what you have that somehow you are smarter you are better, you are superior to those who aren't. The converse applies as well. Don't think that based on what you don't have, 
somehow that you, you don't have it together or you're not worth as much. The scriptures remind us constantly to not be partial, to not be respecters of persons. And so he's starting off by telling people who are well off to get off their high horse, to stop having an image of yourself based on how much you have, based on what you've accomplished. And it's not because he wants to burst our balloon. It's not because he wants to say, oh, you think you're really something. Boom, no, you're not. Get off your high horse. Quit being arrogant. Don't be haughty. But he's actually being considerate of the fact that if you're, if you're having a high opinion based on what you have, he's going to point out what you have can be very temporary. And so don't start drawing major conclusions based on what you have. Don't allow the things of this world to define who you are, to define what you're worth. Don't be high-minded. Don't elevate yourself because of what you have. Don't look down on others who may not have what you have. And it's a good reminder. But he says, nor to trust. And that word isn't the normal word for trust, which would be the same word for faith. This is a word that refers specifically to your expectations, what you're counting on. Don't expect based on uncertain riches, but in the living God. Riches are certainly uncertain. You just cannot, you can count them, but you can't count on them. Now, this is something that over the last few years has become very graphically demonstrated to the entire world, to all of us. There are very few people here who probably haven't, didn't take a hit over the last few years in terms of what you possess. If it wasn't actual concrete numbers on paper in your IRA or in your bank account, certainly the illusory number of what people used to be willing to pay for your house and compared to what they would be willing to pay for it now, you're seeing things shrinking before your very eyes. And for many people, the, that which they were expecting, that which they were counting on, that which was their nest egg for the future, that which they were counting on retiring on, the money that you had already kind of spent in your own head, all of a sudden you realize, poof, a lot of that's gone. And you go, well, maybe I'm rich, but I'm not as rich as I used to be. And he says, don't count on things like that. They are uncertain. They are things that shouldn't be depended on. You should have never been depending on them in the first place. And actually, I think that by God allowing us to go into this um, recession or depression or whatever you want to call it, he did us a huge favor. And for some of us, it was a bigger favor than others, depending on what your perspective has been. But it was God giving us a reminder of what we should have known all along. Don't count on that stuff to support you, to bail you out, to pay for your future, to provide for you in the way in which you've become accustomed. See, we should have never done that. This scripture was around long before this recession. And things that, that decay and that people steal and things that don't last 
are never the kind of things that we should be counting on, that we should be expecting that they will prop us up. The option, he says, how about a living God? Now, you might be going, you know, it's easy for you to say, but, you know, my whole savings were wiped out. And, and I don't even understand why. I know it has to do with somebody's greed somewhere, and a lot of people got these huge bonuses, and people made loans they shouldn't have, and then they took it predatory this and that, but I don't even get it. I don't understand why it's happened. Well, do you understand this? God is still alive. He hasn't taken a hit. God hasn't been freaking out as he looks at his portfolio. He hasn't been going, oh no, what am I going to do about, I, I, I need to bail everyone out. God, you know, God, God doesn't need a stimulus package because he's alive and he lasts forever and he created everything. And so really it's easy to see it when you start to lose it and you can either fall apart based on what you're losing or you can go, you know what, this is a beautiful reminder of the fact that I still have what really matters. I still have God who's alive. The other stuff, it was going to go when I go. You know, and, and there are people who are, who are just you know, living for how much they can acquire so that somehow they can give it away when they die. And it's like, wait a minute, we have God. So what's your future based on? What's your trusting? What are you, what numbers are you really checking? Do you need to constantly check the Dow? Do you need to constantly check the value of your house? Do you need to constantly check your bank balance and your stock prices and things like that? Not compared to checking, is God still alive? Is he still in charge? Is he still as powerful as he has always been? Well, what am I trusting in? And I would rather stake my trust in a living God than to stake it in assets that can go up and down seemingly with the wind. And it happens. And for a speculative investor, volatility is always considered to be a plus because every time there's volatility, there's an, there's an option of taking options on betting basically whether it's going to go up or down. But that'll drive you crazy. And if you've ever invested in really volatile investments, you know the, the life that it sucks out of you as you're doing that. And yeah, it can be an adrenaline rush and then it can crush you. But I would rather stake my future on a living God a God who can adapt and adjust to whatever the circumstances are because he's alive and he's watching it. He's better than any investment counselor. He's better than any prognosticator because he knows the future as well as he knows the past. And he's the one that we should be expecting to come through for us. And, and so it, Paul is telling Timothy, let people know while they're blessed to not count on that blessing, but to count on a living God. Now, why doesn't he say, tell this to the poor people? Because the poor people already know that's all they have. Poor people aren't expecting anything except, God, will you provide my daily bread? Will you help me to get through this day? Poor people have a significant advantage in that respect. 
But rich people have a, even a more important obligation to learn this because it's going to be rich people who are crushed when they lose what they have. And so he says, while you still have something, let go of it. Decide that that's not something that you are going to count on, but instead trust in a living God. Make him your retirement program. Make him what you check every morning when you get up to see what you're worth. You are worth what a living God paid for you, the life of his son. And, and that makes your portfolio look pretty good, no matter what else is going on in it. But there's a reality to material things, and we certainly have a need for them and an appreciation for them. And, and God doesn't just say, give away everything that you have. Just let go of all of it. You should feel guilty because you're well off. Why are you so rich? No, not at all. In fact, look as you continue reading. The living God who gives us richly, however rich you are, it's because God gave it to you, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's kind of surprising. That's not a very religious-sounding, politically correct statement, especially when you realize that the Greek word there for enjoy isn't just the word that means enjoy. It's a word that's accentuated, and really a better translation would be he has given you all things to fully enjoy, to really enjoy is the idea. Now, how does that work? Well, if you are trusting in what you have, you'll never really enjoy what you have. And, and that's sad. And the fact that we have more than we need isn't something that we should feel guilty about or sorry for. We should give it all away. We shouldn't look and go, ooh, other people are poor and I'm not. Bummer for me. It's terrible. I think I should just give everything that I have to them. Now, he's going to go on and talk about sharing, but he gets this over with first because I think some people who are rich, some people who are incredibly rich even, have never learned to even enjoy what they have. They don't understand. No, God gave this to you because he wants you to have a great life. He wants you to feel blessed. He, he's okay with you appreciating some of the luxuries that he gives you. There are some people who hoard everything that they have, and why? Because they're scared to death that it won't be there in the future. And so ironically, there are these people who live like paupers, although God has blessed them, and then their major accomplishment is they leave this pile of money for their, for their you know, kids to, to not appreciate, to, because their kids are, are, you know, they just, they hate the fact that their parents were always into their, you know, being so cheap and saving, and they don't say, boy, I'm glad they saved for us. Instead, typically, the kids will just blow the money. It didn't cost them anything. They didn't work for it. And, you know, it's sad that God has given you an opportunity to enjoy life, and sometimes we don't take it out of greed, out of a, a need to keep the, the balance high in order to protect our retirement. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should take every last penny that you have and do something that you'll really enjoy. I'm certainly not suggesting, and Scriptures doesn't say, that God gave you a credit limit so that you can really enjoy life. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, right off the top, before he even talks about what you do with your excess funds, he says, God gave it to you so that you could really enjoy it. And 
I think that's important. And I think sometimes being able to enjoy what we have makes a statement about the fact that we don't worship what we have and we're not counting on it. We're not banking on it. You know, I think of people who hoard their money and then they die and it gets given down. And by the time their kids get their money, the kids have usually earned their own money and it doesn't really mean much to them. They didn't get the money when they could have really used it when they were younger. And then I think of people who, for instance, as grandparents, that they go and and blow money by taking their grandkids on a trip to Hawaii and staying in a luxury hotel and doing nice things for them. Or people who do that with their kids. And you might go, oh, that's so wasteful. No, I think God would say, that was a smart thing to do sometimes. Those memories will be worth so much more than a check that they get after you die. To, to be able to spend time with them and enjoy them. And the same thing goes for, you know, with your spouse and, and with your friends. It's God isn't against joy. That's why he has blessed us, because he wants us to be able to enjoy those luxuries. You know, boy, I'll tell you something. I know I've had several friends over the last few weeks who lost their spouse. And when that happens, you don't ever look back and say, boy, I'm really sorry we had that vacation. I'm really sorry I bought those nice things for her. I'm really sorry that we, that we took time off to enjoy life. No, you, you just go, man, if I had known it was going to be this short, I would have been a little more free with what I do with what God has given me. So keep that perspective because that's something that, that he puts in here. And, and, and I don't want you to understand everything else and ignore what he says right up front. Okay, does that make sense? Now let's see what else he says. He says, let them, the rich people, do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. Now this first part of verse 18, in the English it really doesn't, and I, and I try not to make it look like, oh, you know, you can't understand you know, the Bible unless you can read Greek or whatever. But this is one of those examples where they could have done a better job translating it into English because there's a play on words here in this first part of the sentence that I think it helps us understand it a little better when we, when we see it literally, okay? Now, there's a word that you're probably somewhat familiar with in Greek. It's the word ergon. Um, we have words that, we, that are derivatives of it, but the word ergon means work. It refers generally to what you do to earn a living. Now, we have the word ergonomic. You know, namas is law and ergon is work, and those are put together, and the idea is something's designed to follow laws that make work function best, and that's where the word ergonomic comes from, okay? So you have that word work. Now, There's a word that means good, that's agathos, that's a a normal word for good. But there's another word that's used here, and it's the word kalos, which is something that means, it's translated good a lot of times, but at its essence it means beautiful. Okay, so look with me at verse 18, and let me give you a little more literal rendering. Let them, instead of do good, read that as work good. Because that, unfortunately, they didn't put work in here in the English, and and that was a mistake, because it is the word aragon, which means work, and the word agathos, which means good. So let them work good, in order that they be rich in 
good works. Now that word there, good, isn't the word agathos that's used you know, in the phrase before. It's the word kalos, which at its essence means beautiful. But it is the word ergon again, which, which means um, work. It's put together um, there in terms of beautiful work. So my literal translation of that first part of verse 18 is this. Let them work good so that they will be rich in beautiful work. Okay, you might be going, so what? What's the big difference? Well, God has designed us with a, not only a capacity, but a desire to work. Working is something that is built into us. If you, it's why the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Because no one's ever going to be happy if they're not being productive, if they don't have some occupation, if they don't have something that they're doing that is, this is what I am doing. And so even when people are blessed and have a lot and are enjoying fully what they have, he also says, but make sure that you work good. Or a better thing might be that you work well. Okay? And why? so that what you produce becomes the fruit of that work, a beautiful work. And so putting in good effort brings about a a beautiful result. Now let me make that a little clearer with an example of something that's very close to our hearts because this morning we watched the the pictures of the outreach down in Mexico where we gave the um, shoeboxes of toys to the people in Mexico, and they were able to give them out and spread the gospel. We wouldn't have had those shoeboxes unless a whole lot of people worked. If, we didn't, if you didn't work, you couldn't even afford to buy the boxes or the shoes that used to be in the boxes and to buy the toys and the things that you put in the box. And so that involves work. Actually taking the time to go get them, put them together, wrap them, label them, decide which you know, sex and which age they're appropriate for, and bring them with you to church, that's work. And that's good work. But it didn't stop there because then there were a group of guys here at the church who stacked those things and sorted them. And then there were some guys who gave of a day to load those things in their vehicles, their own private vehicles with their own gasoline that they paid for by working, and they hauled them down to Mexico. And then they and other people there unloaded them, stacked them, and sorted them. And then people down in Mexico worked to take them to this little village where they had this outreach. And ultimately, then little kids get to open them and get their only Christmas present of the year. And they're blessed because of it. A whole lot of what went into that is just good work, good hard work, effort. But what comes out of that is a beautiful work, is something that will that pays off in a way aesthetically and spiritually and, and eternally in every other way, in a way that's much bigger than the sum total of all the work that went into it. And so the exhortation here is, Decide how you're going to work well so that you can see the result of a beautiful work later. And this is true in so much of what we do. It starts out with good hard work, but it ends with something to show for it. 
something that can be appreciated, something that ultimately lasts for eternity. And so he's saying, you know, you guys, if you have extra, you also have demonstrated that you have the capacity to produce. Do that well, so that what's left ultimately is going to be a beautiful work. Now, a lot of people, when they're younger, it's their greatest producing years, and they work really hard. And a part of the idea is, someday I want to retire. Someday I want to be able to have all my time, my resources be discretionary. And, and, and that's fine. As you get older, it's tougher to get up and work and produce. But there are a lot of people who choose what they're going to do with their life once they get to that point, and they find out that the most beautiful thing is what they're able to do in their, quote, retirement years, because now I don't have to be working 60, 70 hours a week. I'm now free to contribute to something that lasts for eternity. And that's the way God has designed us. He gives us the capacity to produce, but if we use that capacity wisely, we will have extra and can build something incredibly beautiful out of that which he has given us. And that's called a good investment. And that's investing in something that the economy can't take away from you. To be able to be free to give time to serve people, to serve God, to contribute to ministry, to be able to give to causes that will bring about eternal change in people's lives. If there's no other reason to go to work every day than the fact that it will free you up and give you the, the opportunity to then bless others in a beautiful and a permanent way. Rather than to spend your whole life with nothing to show for it, with having left nothing of beauty, Paul's just telling Timothy, man, tell these people to understand, work well so that you can create a beautiful work, so that you can see something that lasts, that comes out of all that effort. And he says, also, ready to give. The idea of being ready to give is not just that you're willing to give, but that you plan for it. That you make decisions to deliberately create extra time, extra resources, so that when there's a need, it's not like, oh man, I'd love to help, but I don't have the time and I don't have the money. Being ready to give is living your life deliberately beneath your means and moving toward creating space in your life enough so that there's some time left over to do something that's going to last. There's nothing worse than to see a need and to have just no way to help. I think of the, what we've seen this week that's happening in Haiti with the earthquake down there and just probably hundreds of thousands of people who've lost their lives, bodies stacked in the streets, buildings just crumbled and, and just devastation everywhere. And you look at it and go, oh, I wish I could help some way. But right now, you can't even get relief flights in there. You can't get ships in there. It's horrible, and there's nothing that you can do. Except you can start to think, I know there are people who are working on this, and there are a lot of people through Calvary Chapel that are trying to set up and find the most fruitful way to help over there. 
So what I could do is to begin to set aside some funds so that when the opportunity opens up, I don't have to then make some huge sacrifice or use my grocery money for it. I'm ready because I have some funds set aside that are just for these kinds of emergencies. And in the same way, to create the opportunity for time. I know some people who give their vacation every year to go off on some missions trip. It's a great use of vacation time, by the way. But if you've used up your vacation time, and then some opportunity comes up and you're like, oh man, I wish I could do that, but I can't afford the time, I can't afford the money. Well, maybe God's not calling you to do it, but I know that you know that feeling of sometimes knowing that your heart is to do something, but your schedule and your bank account just doesn't give you the option. And so what he is saying is, when you are living your life and you're blessed, yes, enjoy. Yes, build a work that becomes beautiful, but also save some time and save some money. Be ready so that when the Lord gives you an opportunity and calls you to do it, it's not some major horrible thing for you to be able to do it. You go, you know what? I've lived beneath my means, and I've saved up some vacation time, and I've worked in such a way that now I'm freed up, and I have some time, maybe a lot of time, free, and it's ready to do something that God gives me an opportunity to do. I am in a position to be able to take off a couple weeks and be able to pay with my own money to be able to go and create an opportunity to make something beautiful happen with the efforts that I have. And so he says, be ready to give. Live your life preparing for some space, for some extra. And then the last thing that he says there in verse 18 is willing to share. Koinonikos is the word there that's translated willing to share. It's all one word. It's The word koinonia in the Greek is a word that's often translated fellowship. Um, the word koinos means to have in common. Really what this word means is to be a partner. It's to be willing and expecting and wanting to be a part of joint ventures, to work with others, to, to see that when others have need, they're your partners. They're, they're someone that you want to be able to share with. And so not only have you prepared the way to be ready to give, but you have also have that mentality that says, what I have is not just for me. What I have is to be shared. With everyone, no. But with those that God links you with, with those that you're partnering with, as he puts it on your heart, to be able to say, you know what, right now, I can help. I'm in a position to do that. We're in this together. The spirit of, of true fellowship and koinonia that happens when you just don't spend everything, and when you realize that some of what God has given you is for you to enjoy, but some of what God has given you is for you to help others to enjoy and help others to be blessed. And the truth is, to go have a meal with someone who hasn't had a nice meal for a while, you'll probably enjoy that meal much more than you ever would have if you had it alone. To be able to do things that help others. I know, I know some people in our church who Christmas was a real 
struggle for them. And they couldn't buy the presents that they really wanted to for their families, but they made a point to fill a shoebox for kids in Mexico because the truth is people in your family weren't going to be happy with that shoebox full of cheap toys. But people in Mexico would be thrilled with it. And so it's realizing we're all a part of, of the family of God. And then he goes on to say, storing up for themselves a good, and that's the word kalos too, a beautiful foundation for the time to come that they may get a grip on eternal life. He says, living your life this way is only building a beautiful foundation for a beautiful building that's coming. And to live your life in a way that, that will leave blessings after you're gone, to, to give some of what you have in order to create something bigger than yourself, more permanent, to be able to, to give some of what you have in order to see People spend eternity in heaven? Oh, how beautiful that is. It's much greater. It's, much, it's a much smarter thing to do with what you have. Again, not with everything that you have, but just to have that spirit that, you know, I am going to enjoy life because God has blessed me, but I am also going to make decisions to do things that will lay a foundation for that which lasts for eternity. I want to create beauty outside myself. I want to create beauty that goes way beyond myself. And having that eternal perspective, laying hold on eternal life, gives us the opportunity to not only be blessed here, but to create blessing that will last forever. And some of that blessing might be just because you gave some time to someone. Others of it might be because you make contributions. Others may be because you go and serve or you share the gospel. But whatever it is that we do, let's make sure that we're just not building stuff that's going to crumble before our very eyes, that will deteriorate and we can't trust it. Instead, let's, let's make sure that the values of our lives are to create value for eternity. And that's what Paul is telling us rich people. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see opportunities and to have the heart that we will let go of what we have because we're not trusting in it. That we will have a heart to help, to work well, and to create beauty, to build a beautiful foundation, to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, you have been good to us. And we're sorry for the times when we're actually too greedy to enjoy your blessings, to just have some fun. Because we get the idea that you don't want us to enjoy life, and you do. We're sorry for misrepresenting you that way. But Lord, you've been so good to us that we can very easily create some extra time and extra resources to share with others to contribute to your work. And so, Lord, we want that eternal perspective. Help us to live life that way. And as we grow older and as we hopefully get wiser, to more and more really enjoy the fruit of our labors by giving them to you, by serving you, and by planning ways to bless others 
with what you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today and you don't even